We're going to begin a new series of study this evening. I, I finished the one that we were on last time. And as I said, uh, as I said, you know, months, uh, months ago, months and months ago, I want these Sunday evening series to be faith strengthening and building. I, I want us to really focus upon mainly the church and, you know, our being members of the Lord's church and to really strengthen and encourage us uh, in our faith. Uh, I want, want that kind of focus. Now, we may you know, digress from that somewhere down the road, but that's, that's what I'm trying to really prepare and, and really focus upon in these Sunday evening lessons. Now, we think about our faith. We think about our faith being essential to our eternal life our salvation, our forgiveness, our redemption. Uh, again, Paul's wrote in, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9, we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. Now, so what is the greatest danger or threat to our faith and faithfulness? And we've talked about how, and I've tried to emphasize many times over the years teaching on faith, that faith is actually used in three different ways in the Scriptures. One is just faith. And most people, they think of all of these, when they think of faith, they, they, they don't distinguish. But there are, three, there are actually three different, different focuses on faith in the Scriptures. One of them is simply my faith. That's faith. My personal belief. But the second one is that upon which my faith is based or from which my faith comes. We say in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 all the time, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And so the Word of God is referred to as the faith repeatedly in the Scriptures. And then Jesus said, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. And that's me putting my faith into action through continued and consistent and dedicated obedience and service and dedication. So my faith, the faith upon which or from which my faith develops, and then my faith put into action consistent basis through obedience and dedication and commitment, and that's faithfulness. What's the greatest danger to our faith, to our faithfulness? to our being dedicated on a consistent basis to God as faithful Christians. Of course, the devil. And Peter describes him as our adversary who walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so the imagery is stark there, and we can relate to that. We know we wouldn't want to be out uh, in, yeah, alone someplace and all of a sudden a, a wild a wild lion presents himself before us on whatever path we're walking, we know we'd be in danger. In fact, we might just at that point just say, I'm dead right now because how do you, def how, how do you defeat or how do you, you know, fight against a wild lion? Well, he's, so he's described as that. His goal is our eternal spiritual death or condemnation. So he's our adversary basically our enemy, literally one who stands against us. And so Peter says, you know, we need to be on guard. We need to be ready. We need to have our eyes open. 
So what is the means by which or the technique that the devil uses to try to break down our faith? And that's sin, isn't it? All kinds of temptations that he throws at us from all kinds of different directions, even using people at times to try to lure us away from faithfulness to God and into sinfulness. Well, how, how can we beat the devil? How can we beat the devil? Let's look at James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And notice that this instruction has two parts. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, submit to God. That's the first part. The second part is resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then James goes into further detail telling us how we can resist the devil. And basically it's going back to that first part of the instruction, submit to God. But he goes into more detail. He says, draw, draw near to God. So submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's what we want. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But then in that process, as we come near to God and we come to him through Jesus Christ, John 14 and verse 6, we have to come in repentance of our sins. We have to come seeking forgiveness His way. And of course, that's going to be as we are baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. Acts 2 and verse 38, Acts 22 and verse 16. So He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we need to submit to God and that's going to be, I'm going to submit to His will for my life. And that's communicated to me through His Word, the Scriptures, the Bible. I'm going to obey those teachings. I'm going to live by those teachings. So sub submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, draw near to God, and here's the details, and he will draw near to you. And in that process, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, repent of your sins and turn away from them begin that new life in Christ, that new life of faithful dedication to Him. Now, how does this apply to what we're talking about, our basic premise? The devil's our adversary. He's our enemy. He wants to destroy us spiritually and eternally. And we can, we can make him flee by resisting him, and we resist him by coming to God we draw near to God, we, we walk away from the sinful lifestyle, we come to Him. Okay, so the devil is the one trying to break down our faith and faithfulness. The only way that you can truly beat the devil is by drawing near to and walking with God. There is no other way. Some people, they don't want to get all into that real, you know, as they might say, you know, organized religion. God gave us organized Christianity. He gave us the details. He gave us the instructions, the guidelines right in this book. In fact, the Bible from basically Genesis chapter 3, and really we could say it really goes back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, but certainly from Genesis chapter 3, on through the entire rest of the Bible, it's about God's plan for our salvation. 
The Old Testament points to the coming of Christ. The four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's come. Acts chapter 2 and then through the rest of the book of Acts, the church comes into existence on this earth. And here we begin to watch, we begin to read the accounts of its early existence, its early history. And then the letters all the way through Jude, here are instructions from the various gospel writers instructing Christians and congregations as to how to be Christians and as to how to be the church. And then the Revelation talking about things to come and how ultimately Christianity prevails, the church is victorious, and individual faithful Christians, consistently faithful Christians, they win. They win, and they're going to be in heaven for all of eternity. But now we've got to follow those scriptures, and the devil's going to try to pull us away from those promises and those instructions. And so the only way to put the devil out, to beat the devil, to put the devil out of our lives is by bringing God in, drawing near to God, walking with God. Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16, the Apostle Paul, I'm not, I'm not going to read through the entire context there. It's a great context, very instructive, but it goes all the way down through the rest of the chapter. But I want to highlight these two verses, verses 16 and 17. Paul said, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, what, what did John the Apostle write as to three avenues of temptation that the devil will use against us? The lust of the eye, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. Well, Paul says, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things which you wish. So if we're consistently walking in the spirit, that is living by the teachings of God's word, then we will not be following the lead of the devil. Because those two influences, the influence of God through the Holy Spirit and the influence of the devil are diametrically opposed to one another. They're contradictory to one another. And Paul even says, these are contrary to one another. So if we're walking with God, if we're walking by the guidance of God through his word, and that's how the spirit speaks to us today, through his word, then we're not going to be walking with the devil. We're not going to be following his lead. Now, here's the conflict. Here's the conflict. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. What does Jesus say there? It's a basic statement in principle, in reality, in truthfulness. He says, no one can serve two masters. Have you ever worked at a job where you had two supervisors telling you different things? I, I went through that one time. I had one, one manager come and tell me when I was still working in the grocery business and I was in a management position myself, but I had a couple of other managers over me and, and one of them came and said, you need to do this. And I did that. And then later I got chewed out by the upper manager because I did what the lower manager told me to do. And I was upset about that. Well, if, if you've ever been in that kind of position, 
that kind of situation, you understand how frustrating that can be. But see, Paul say, or Jesus says there, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold, uh, be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, what Jesus is really fo focusing on, or who he's really focusing, focusing upon by talking about those two masters is you can't serve God and the devil at the same time. If you're walking with the devil, you're not walking with God. If you're walking with God, goes back to James chapter, five, uh, chapter 4 again, and verses 7 and 8, if you're walking with God, the devil's not going to be with you. Because there's no room in the life of a faithful follower, dedicated, obedient follower of God through Jesus Christ, no room in the life of that individual for the devil. And so you submit to God, you resist the devil, he flees from you, but you know you have to resist all the way. And that means what, what James went on and said, you've got to turn away from sin. In Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 15, and this is something of, the long com, uh, uh, of a long context of Scripture here, but for the sake of, of, of its you know, specificity, bringing out here exactly what, what, what Jesus was saying back in Matthew 6 and verse 24, Paul just goes into a great deal of deal, deal detail, and he, he brings it you know, out in a personal application kind of way. He talks about how he had struggled in trying to break away completely from all of the influence of the devil in his life and just follow God through Jesus Christ. So beginning with verse 15, he says, what am I doing? I do not understand for what I will to do. In other words, what I really want to do, what I've tried to make up my mind to do, he said, that I do not practice. Hmm. But what I hate and he's talking about sin here, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So he's saying, God gives us spiritual law for our good, to help us to recognize sin and to help us to stay on the right path so we can be with him forever in heaven. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, hmm. but how to perform what is good, I do not find. He keeps finding himself tripping up along the way. And that pretty, pretty much describes all of us, doesn't it? For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And so he says, I'm going through this inner struggle, this inner conflict, this ongoing battle within my life, within my heart, within my mind. And, and he finally says, oh, wretched man. Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm so, I'm so torn in this battle. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's the answer. He says, my Lord and Savior delivers me from this, from this body of death. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. 
he finds himself at times being torn and giving in where he should not give in. So there's the conflict again. We have two forces trying to pull us in opposite directions. And one that is God through Christ, he's, pulled, they're try, he's trying to pull us in the right direction toward eternal life in heaven. The other one, the opposite of God is the devil and he's trying to pull us to eternal condemnation in hell through sin, us taking up a lifestyle of sin. Now the victory, so that's the conflict. The victory Paul brings out at the end there in that context and that victory is in walking faithfully with God through Christ. We drop down to verse 25. Again, the last part there of that text. I just wanted to emphasize it. What does Paul say? Just before this, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself saw the, served the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And Philippians 4 and verse 13, boiled down, this is the bottom line answer to the conflict. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's the victory. There's the victory. Now let's look at 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, reading down through verse 6. We beat the devil. We put him out of our lives. How? By letting God in. Again, that's the only way to beat the devil. That's the only way to put the devil out of our lives is by letting God in because there is no room for both of those masters within one life. So we want to be victorious over the devil. Bring God into your life. Let him into your life. Turn to him openly, faithfully, in repentance, obediently through Jesus Christ. We beat the devil. We put him out of our lives by letting God in to our lives. 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. John the Apostle says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you, and he's writing this to Christians, so that's why, how he, why he can word it this way, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. We've got to make up our minds so that that particular statement of identification is truthful. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We can recognize the ways of the devil influencing people around us and different means that the devil might try to pull us away from God by recognizing the truth. And if, the, if, if those ways, if those individuals are pulling us away from the truth of God's word, then we know that they're false. We know that they're serving not God, but they're serving the devil. Now again, how do we beat the devil? How do we put him out of our life? By letting God in. First John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15 again. Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We have to make up our mind. We have to make a choice. We have to draw a line. Where are we going to center our lives? 
And then John goes on and says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides or lives forever. He who does the will of God lives by God's word, by his instructions, his guidelines, lives forever. In John chapter 8 and verse 47, Jesus said, he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Now, to whom was Jesus speaking? He was speaking to the people who should have been ready for him to come into the world, most prepared, anxious to have the Savior come to this earth. But when he came, they rejected him. He wasn't the savior they wanted. And so Jesus said, he who is of God hears God's words. I'm here teaching God's word, but you do not hear. You do not believe in me. Why? Because you're not of God. You reject me, you're not following God. I'm here on God's mission. Revelation 3 verses 15 and 16. And so here, one of Jesus' letters to the seven churches, he says to this particular congregation, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot, one way or the other, but you're wishy-washy. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. We have to make up our minds. Who will be the driving influence in our life? the devil or God. And there are a whole lot of people trying to have it both ways, the devil and God, <laughs> but that doesn't work. It's either the devil or God. Who's going to be the guide in our lives? In Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 23, you must actively be followers of Jesus, actively with Jesus in order to not be against Jesus. What, what does Jesus say there in Luke 11 and verse 23? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Another, another text says scatters abroad. So Jesus says, look, if you're not with me, you're against me. He, doesn't say, he, he, he removes any wiggle room, any middle of the road kind of approach. If you're not with me, you're against me, he said. And he who does not gather with me scatters. So we have to make up our mind. Now, let me make an application here, a real life application. You can probably see it in people around you. Some of us may be kind of able to point the finger at ourselves in our past. There are people, in fact, a lot of people who want to not be bad without having to be good. Think about that. They want to not be bad without having to actually be good. They think they're all right because they're not what they would call a bad person. And yet they've not given their lives to Christ they're not dedicated to God. They're not committed to Christ and God. Now here's the question then. How can you not be bad if you haven't done what God says to do to be 
good. Young man was baptized into Christ this morning. I can guarantee you that he struggled to come to that decision. I struggled to come to that decision early in my life. And probably everybody here who has ever been baptized into Christ struggled with that decision. Because you had to learn, I've got to, I've got to quit what I've been doing. I've got to make up my mind. I've got to make a commitment here. How can a person not be bad if you haven't done what God says to do to be good? Now, we're not talking about a person ending up in jail, perhaps. But we're talking about the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness, godliness and ungodliness. The rich young man is an example. When he came to Jesus, Matthew chapter 19, verse 17, he asked Jesus first, good master, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus told him, keep the commandments. In fact, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And the young man said, I've, I've kept those from my youth up. What do I still lack? And so Jesus told him. Now, what did he come to Jesus asking? What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? So now Jesus, first he said, keep the commandments. He said, I've done all that. What do I still lack? And of course, Jesus could look into his heart and know what his life was like. And so he got down to where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, with this young man. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. Great possessions. Well, so when Jesus told him what he ultimately needed to do, the young man walked away, not willing to do it. And that's where a whole lot of folks are. What can I do to have strong faith? Let's get into God's Word. Let's talk about it. There's a way God has given you to live your life. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't want to do that. You've got to give up some of that stuff you've been doing in your life because that's sinful and it's destroying you spiritually. Well, but I don't want to give that up. When Jesus told the young man what he needed to do to be, you know, what good thing he needed to do to have eternal life, the young man wasn't willing to do that and he walked away. Point of truth, point of truth. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14 and verse 15. In verses 23 and 24, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So again, how do we beat the devil? How do we get him out of our lives? By letting God in. What did Jesus say? If anyone loves me, he will keep my words. He will be obedient to my teachings. 
and I and the Father will love him and come and make our home with him. Jesus says, you live by my Father's word and we'll come into your life. We'll make our home with you. But you've got to come to us for us to come to you. You can't stay in the world. You can't stay walking with the devil. You can't let, let him continue to, to live in your life and be your guide, even partial guide. It's not okay. You keep my word. You be obedient to my teachings and my father and I will come and be with you. You put the devil out by letting God in. Here's an understanding that's important for us. The devil doesn't have to turn people into being atheists. The devil does not have to make good people bad or bad people worse. He only has to convince people that they can be good without obeying God, without living for God. And that's impossible. If you're not walking with God, you're automatically walking with the devil. There's no in between. If you're walking with God, the devil's not influencing your life. He's not your, your guide in your life. Now, we'll mess up now and then. But we recognize that and we repent and we ask God's forgiveness and, and strength to guide us. But if you're not walking with God, if that's not your lifestyle choice and determination, then you're walking with the devil. We need to come to understand that. No middle ground. It's one or the other. It's either or. Where are you today? Are you walking with God or are you walking with the devil? Whose lead are you following? Where is your dedication? If you're ready to become a Christian, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ openly, surrendering to him in baptism for the remission of your sins, that's the choice you need to make. If you've made that choice, but you slip back and you let the devil back into your life to influence you into unfaithfulness to God, into sinful lifestyle, God's waiting for you to come back. And he's ready to forgive if you will repent and come to him in prayer through Jesus Christ for forgiveness. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing.